When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The following podcast contains explicit language. Now, I have great respect for women. I respect women more than I respect men. Are the men insulted by that, by the way? Nobody has more respect for women than I do. My, my daughter, Ivanka, always says, Daddy, nobody respects women more than you, Daddy. Hello and welcome to Trumpcast. I'm Virginia Heffernan. Trumpcast is the show about the man who, when it comes to saying the Pledge of Allegiance, seems to forget which side of his chest his heart is on until he's reminded by his wife, Melania Trump. So today we're talking Melania and matters of the heart. Not in this case, the heart that pounds in the outraged American people or the one that pumps blood to the president's flushed face at his rallies or the human heart that unites all of us, no matter race, class, gender, or creed, the one whose veins course with freedom. No, not that heart. Talking about, instead, the hearts of Twitter, the tiny little blue cartoon heart that means, like. That's the small peep of a signal, the simple like that Melania Trump sent the world today. What did she like and briefly commit her mini Azure Twitter heart to? We are supremely used to parsing Trump's behavior on Twitter. But now we turn to the First Ladies. What she liked was a tweet by Andy Ostro, the author of The Ostro Report, which calls itself an aggressive voice for Democrats and the progressive agenda. And it also, quote, serves as a watchdog of the Republican Party and President Trump. Ostro's tweet said, Seems the only wall real Donald Trump built is the one between him and FLOTUS, Melania Trump. And then it showed the famous gothic gif of Melania Trump at the inauguration, beaming a smile at her husband, a smile that then faded into an expression that seems both terrified and terrifying. And Melania Trump, from her official FLOTUS account, meaning it could have been someone else, liked the image of her in exquisite pain. And further, liked the implication that there is an insurmountable wall between her and her husband, one that, in the form of the security she requires in New York, American taxpayers are footing the bill for. Okay, I admit, it's not much to go on, but Melania Trump is not an easy woman to know. My guest today, however, has made a valiant attempt. She's Kate Imbach, a writer and filmmaker, and no, she didn't score a sit-down with Melania. But she did what critics rather than journalists do, and the result 
was stunning, a piece of art criticism that she published in Medium that treats Melania's entire photographic output, some 470 photographs posted over a three-year period on Twitter, as an opus, the opus of an artist. What she discovered is that the wall, that three-hour Amtrak ride that separates Donald Trump and Melania Trump, also seems to separate the First Lady from the world. The pictures Kate Imbach looked at are haunting, and her take on them gives probably the best glimpse of the First Lady we're going to get, at least for now. My guest today is Kate Imbach. She's a writer, filmmaker, and former startup person, as she calls herself. Welcome, Kate. Thank you. Um, You wrote an, an extraordinary piece that went is this word still used? It went viral um, on April 16th, and it just landed with such a, I don't know, melancholic, just fully emo effect with its readers called Fairy Tale Prisoner by Choice, the Photographic Eye of Melania Trump. What I loved about this piece, Kate, was that you, there's something relaxed and improvisational about it that you don't use the language of art historians or, you know, photographic critics. There's no gotcha in it. What you did was just review review 470 photographs that Melania Trump, the president's wife, tweeted in this three-year period between 2012 and 2015. Um, what did you find out when you looked at these photographs? Well, when I started to look at her Twitter, I did it because I was just so obsessed and sort of fascinated with the idea of why she wasn't showing up in Washington. It's like audacious and weird to just stay in New York. So I wanted to find the answer to the question of why she wouldn't move to Washington. So I thought I would see what she had to say for herself and her interviews are not very revealing and her tweets are not very revealing. She's very controlled person. She can really restrain herself. And so she presents a sort of image of herself that feels fake. So I was looking for a way to sort of get into her mind. And I've had a lifetime of being surrounded by photography and reading a lot about it. So I always think about photographs. And when I looked at her Twitter, I I realized she had been sharing a lot of photographs that she appeared to have taken herself. Also a lot that are media photos and red carpet stuff, but a lot that were her own photographs. So I decided to pull those out. And those are the 470 photos that I collected and I looked at them as though they were a body of work and she were an artist. So I looked at them, I think as like, as though a art historian look or an art critic and would say, okay, well, what is she trying to tell us with the photos that she's taken, even though that wasn't her intention? Yeah. And so, right. We've, we, we've only seen, we only see these tantalizing glimpses of her often behind a curtain of hair on either side and, um, and gifts and memes that suggest that she's, um, cloistered and trapped. I mean, as you know, there's the hashtag free Melania meme that where, you know, certain people either concerned about her well-being or spiteful of her husband made it seem like she is actually his prisoner. Did th- Was that borne out by the photographs? I think that she likes to stay home and I think that she likes life in her tower. And so as far as what she shares... She's she's in her house most of the time to the point where she shares. So for the three years that she was posting photos, she took 49 photos of the view from Trump Tower down Fifth Avenue of the Empire State Building at all different times of day. 
I'm looking at the photographs that are included with your piece on Medium, and um, it is astounding how much she frames this cityscape almost identically photograph to photograph. Um, There's the uh, Empire State Building in the, you know, kind of stage right in the lower quadrant. And then in the front, some buildings I don't know the names of. And then she, yes, goes down Fifth Avenue, but she doesn't she doesn't seem to move the camera up or down. It's almost as though it's on a tripod. Yeah. And it's, it's a beautiful view, but it's, it's like, as though she's not, her hand isn't in it. You know, she's just saying, this is where I am. And then the world is changing around me. The time is day, day is changing and the weather is changing and that's it. And the view of the other direction from her house is of central park. And she does the same thing with those photos as well. She took 25 photos from the same exact view. And in those it's less about time of day, but about, time of year. So you see the seasons change and you see the snow and the autumn leaves and the green trees in the summer and that's it. So it's like, there's a very sort of stable position that she's staying in. And the photographs are kind of beautiful. She's like, seems to appreciate nature. But the question is, how much can you really appreciate nature from the penthouse? Yeah. Well, you made this, to me, astounding discovery that there, I think you said, you know, oh, how exciting. There's some pictures from inside Central Park, not looking down on Central Park. And then you looked closer at those photos, thinking maybe she'd taken a walk in the park and discovered something kind of sinister. Yeah. I saw the photos and I thought, oh, well, good for her. She's like getting out and going for a walk in the park every once in a while while. But if you look closely, you see that the leaves on the, uh, you can see closely that the branches on the trees are blurred from the motion with the car. The raindrops that look like raindrops are just drops of water on the windshield and the sunlight is reflected, the sunlight is refracted from the car window. So she's not ever getting out of the house to see the Central Park. In fact, she likes to take photographs of Central Park a lot. She does it from the car. She does it from her private plane. And she does it from inside her house, but she doesn't ever go inside of it. And so if her idea of a walk in the park is a drive, hmm. as I say, yeah, what, how if she's just, if it's a weird thing, she seems to appreciate nature and the beauty of it, but she can't ever enter it because she's behind the glass. Is there other pictures from inside a car? And um, she, these are pictures of her son, Baron, and her husband, President Donald redacted. Um, what are those pictures? She posted five photographs of them together in total. And in all of them, she's behind them. So she's sort of observing their relationship. And in one of them, he's Trump is driving and Baron is in the front seat. So she's literally in the back seat. And so if you take this in the context of the things that we saw with her and Trump during the inauguration and getting off planes that were so shocking to people observing, especially people seeing how other presidents have behaved with their escorting their wives down the plane or out of cars. And we see her and she's standing behind. And it wasn't just on inauguration day where Trump was distracted. She lives her life literally physically behind both her husband and her son when her husband's in the picture. Yeah, these um, these set pieces of um, of you know, of the Trumps together, of 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 Donald Trump and and Melania Trump together are very striking. I mean, they are hardly ever walking side by side the way he does with, um, say, his daughter Ivanka. You know, he left her at the bottom of the steps famously um, when ascending the steps to the White House. And as you say, she's behind him in the car in the back seat. I mean, that actually strikes me 
I need to do the math here, 2012 or 13, she is with her son, Baron, and he's in the he's in the kind of shotgun seat. Um, I, I'm sure I don't think that was even is even legal to put your little son up there. I don't know if he met the height requirement at that age. Um, but so, I mean, what is it to I don't know. Do you think she opts to sit in the back seat and and behind glass? I think she's happy there and I think she's comfortable there. And I think, you know, it might be common to take pictures of a husband and son if you're the mother from behind to sort of like observe their relationship and say, look at these two, they're, they're cute together. Um, but when you put it together with the, what, the way we see Trump treat her in real life, the, it takes on a darker context with what the other public information we have about what the, the relation, how their relationship appears to be. Um, is, and now there are pictures, she has some pictures up of her son, um, of Baron. What do you make of those, of those photographs? I think the way that she treats Baron and photos is actually quite touching. It, and it's different than any other subject, subject that she has in her photos. He's always in the center of the frame and he's always out somewhere. He's on the beach or on the baseball field or on the golf field. And he's looking out and ahead. Um, he's off also, she obscures his face. So you would never know who it was unless, you know, except for her tag. So she's doing a sort of protective thing by protecting his face and then also giving him this big horizon that she doesn't give herself and her photos of herself. Her selfies are all cropped and restrained. Um, but for Baron, she's like giving him the world and protecting him at the same time. And I do think it's also interesting that for her, there's some something about protection and if what we know about her stated reason for staying in New York was that she wanted to protect her son. I think this comes through in some of the photos. I, I do think that that's like a genuine concern that she's she's worried about about him is uh, the, she does post some selfies, um, both the kind where you what well, looks to me like some of them are when you, you know, flip the camera on yourself, the conventional selfie and then. Even as late as 2014, when I think this had stopped being the convention, but she she takes a picture in a mirror, so you can see the top of her camera, which looks like an iPhone. I'm not sure, but what do you make of those selfies? Well, I think um, first of all, these are all photos that she appeared to have taken herself again. So she did post photos like model, like a lot of modeling photos of herself, but mm. these are the ones that just like she actually took herself. Mm-hmm. Um, so. When she, her whole face is in the frame, like when you can see her entire face, the editing that she does to it is so intense that she just like blows her entire face out. So like you can't see the contours of her nose and it's kind of a mask that she's putting on herself because she's so bleached out of the photo. There's a selfie that leads your story um, that is a joint selfie of, um, of Melania Trump with her longtime companion, Donald Trump. This is from 2014, July 1st. I think I said to you, or at least thought to myself, this is one of the best pictures of Donald Trump I've ever seen. I mean, there there are many, many reasons to read this article, but his face looks surprisingly symmetrical, and his he's very obscured, but he there's something he looks happy. He looks happy in this yeah. picture. Um, but this is a selfie of a couple, a married couple, and near it looks like a lighthouse or a something on a, a kind of rocky shore. It doesn't look like Florida. It looks 
I don't know, like Maine or New England. But something is really almost shocking about this photograph. Yeah. And it's that this is the only photo that she shared that she took of the two of them herself. And she's cropped out of it. So you can see him fully, but she's wearing a hat, sunglasses on top of the hat. And the bit of her face that is in the photo is completely in, in shadow. So she's, it's a selfie. It's a couple photo and she's not even in it. Amazing. It, it, I mean, I, well, well, what do you make? So the, the, the article is called Fairytale Prisoner by Choice, the Photographic Eye of Melania Trump. What do you make of this fairy tale? And you say prisoner by choice, which is a, you know, a powerful call for you as a, as a photography critic. Yeah, I think uh, when I was putting this together, I just, the fairy tale imagery just can't, kept coming to me over and over again. You know, she lives in what was named by her husband, literally a tower. It's gilded. You know, you've seen the the photos of the interior. You can remember them of, with all the, like, horrible gold accents everywhere. Um, and she seems like a princess. Like, the idea of being with a billionaire and living in the tower in Manhattan is sort of a modern-day fairy tale on its own. And then there's all this other trope in fairy tales where there's always, uh, there's always the princess is always trapped. So it just seems really fitting. And I think what's happened with Melania up until now, my take on it from what I've seen anyway, is that she's just was kind of happy with life the way it was. She was happy watching the seasons change. She was happy going to Florida, flying back and forth. And and so she chose to be in a world that was not very big, considering that how much money she has and how much access they have to do whatever they want to do. Um, and she just liked it that way. And so I think what's happening now maybe is that uh, this was not what she signed up for in a very big way. You know, my um, my father always used to tell that sort of, um, I, I'm, sh- I'm sure it's a common joke among fathers that y- y- one day you might get a Chinese fortune cookie that says, help, I'm a prisoner in a Chinese fortune cookie factory, um, <laughs> and that you'd get the note. Um, and actually, <laughs> this very week, someone at Walmart found in a purse a letter written in Chinese by someone being mistreated in a factory. So the idea of a little message creep, you know, sneaking out from someone um, being being held or somewhere against their will, or even in this case, possibly having chosen her imprisonment, possibility of that side drama came out on on Twitter th- today. I think eight hours ago, it was discovered that she had, from the Flotus account on Twitter, liked a tweet that that suggested her marriage was in is in big trouble that suggested that there is a quote wall between her and her husband the the tweet original tweet was andy ostroy what he said is it seems the only hashtag wall real donald trump's built is the one between him and flotus and then he tagged melania and uh hashtag trump the picture he used is this is uh, a gif, the sort of famous gif of Melania giving a very forced looking smile at her husband at the inauguration and then that smile fading into a kind of cross and heartbroken expression um, that that's very difficult to describe. Anyway, from her first lady of the United States. So this is not just personal business, right? She liked that tweet just long enough for people to get screenshots of her decision to like it and then withdrew the like. So what do you make of that small 
tiny signal that we may have gotten from Trump Tower? Well, I think the reason that internet went so crazy about it is that when we see her with her pouty model face and her serious hair and her like super restrained attitude, it just seems fake. Like it seems like she's hiding something because nobody is that restrained. And if they act that restrained, they are hiding something. And so it seems like to like that tweet is just like she was scratching an itch. Like she just had to say to the world, oh, you're right. He is building a wall between me and him. And I can imagine that for someone who has to hold it in together for so long to just like press a little button and scratch the itch just feels so good. I mean, it feels, I don't know, something feels wrong to pile on about the wife, about the wife of the president, and especially one who's been so guarded. Um, you know, there were there was a very big book about the Obama's marriage. That was considered fair game. Um, there was a wonderful novel by Curtis Sittenfeld about the Bushes um, called An American Wife about Laura Bush. Um, and certainly there's been book after book about the Clintons who are almost always, you know, referred to um, as two. I think if you say the Trumps, you hardly even think about Melania. You know, you might think about uh, Donald Trump and his children. I don't know. How much is she, she's, how much is she the the sort of concern of the people? I mean, certainly taxpayers are paying for her security and barren security in New York. And that's been a source of frustration um, for Trump watchers. But how much do we sort of respect this privacy or, I don't know, so much ambivalence around her? Yeah, well, I think every first lady in modern memory has taken the opportunity of being married to the guy who happens to be president to be a public servant herself. And to watch someone not do that and not do it to the extent where it costs the taxpayers $120 million, whatever the new number is a year, is just really extreme. And it's kind of offensive as an American. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, it's funny because the, um, the, the Michelle Obama, Barack Obama is that marriage is a, is a new kind of fairy tale and that doesn't have ogres. And this is, this looks like, as you say, back to, you know, Rapunzel or something where the, um, princesses or Sleeping Beauty where the princesses shut away. And, you know, in the case of Sleeping Beauty, and sometimes it seems like Ivanka, I mean, Melania kind of half dead. It's just sad because you want, you want more, you know, you want more out of the first lady in the modern society. We've come to expect a presidential marriage and it's not about her being a woman. If Bill Clinton were the first man, first husband, whatever you call it, and he did the same thing and he decided to stay um, wherever they were living and didn't sort of show up and didn't dedicate himself to public service, it would be just equally an outrage. You know, I don't think it's about gender. It's just about, um, you know, having this incredible opportunity to really serve your country. And then when you've got someone in there who is just like not equipped and not interested in doing so, it's kind of a disappointment. Yeah, I think that's right. Well, um, the photographs are still fascinating to look at for one of the few glimpses into Melania Trump. And, you know, I think you've really, this is a public service, this piece. I really love it. And I really think it introduces a sort of new way to cover the sort of slightly ominous cultural and and social overtones of this presidency. It's 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 a it's sort of a model for how to write about things that sort of defy ordinary punditry, you know? Yeah, well, thank um, you. It was fun to put together and I could be first lady, I guess now. Yeah, yeah, please. <laughs> um, all right. Thank you very very much Kate for being here. 
Okay, thank you. That's it for today's show. Trumpcast is produced by Jason DeLeon. Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of Slate Podcasts. Andy Bowers is Panoply's chief content officer. And June Thomas is the managing producer. I'm Virginia Heffernan. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast. Trumpcast.